0: What's up guys, it's Avery Carl from The Short Term Show doing the intro for the Panhandle of Florida. We are doing a 10 episode deep dive on two markets here, both the Emerald Coast and the Forgotten Coast of Florida, which basically makes up the entire Florida Panhandle. So 10 episode deep dive here. We are going to add quarterly updates, so make sure you hit that subscribe button. We also have some supplemental materials for you guys on our website. So anything you need to know about current short-term rental property pricing in terms of how much it costs to buy a property in these markets. You can find that on our website at theshorttermshop.com. You can also find current AirDNA income data thanks to our friends over at, you guessed it, AirDNA. And uh, we've got all that for you guys so that you can listen to this at any point in time and go find live pricing and live income data. Also, if you guys want to buy a short-term rental investment with a short-term shop agent on the Emerald or Forgotten Coast. You can just email us at agents at the shortterm shop.com and we will get you hooked up. These are two of my very favorite beach markets, by the way, I've chosen to live in the Emerald Coast. I also invest in the Emerald and Forgotten Coast. So very near and dear to my heart. Also, if you guys just have more questions and you want to chat about short-term rentals, we've created a, an amazing community over on Facebook with over 50,000 short-term rental investors just talking shop all day. It's got the same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. So head over there to chat more about short-term rentals. And if you want to chat live on Zoom, we've got a call every Thursday that you can join at strquestions.com. Happy investing, y'all. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the short-term show special episode series. This series is on the Emerald Coast today and Forgotten Coast, sorry. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the contract process for this part of Florida. Um, Got a pretty cool cast of characters here to help me do that. I will introduce them really quick. Jan, you want to start off?
1: Hello, January Johnson. Um, I sell everything between Panama City Beach and Navarre Beach. Um, I'm a local... I'm a Florida native, uh, and I'm the longest-running Airbnb host in the
0: city of Panama City, and a community leader for Airbnb. Awesome, Rush Valentine, first time on the show.
2: <laughs> hey everyone, um, Rush Valentine. Uh, been with a short-term shop for a few years. Uh, kind of, uh, I guess, one of the one of the, I guess, the original for this area. So, um, for about the past four years now, only been working with investors that are looking for Airbnbs. Um, self-management type properties. So um, it's been fun. Learned a lot and uh, have a lot of, a lot of info and knowledge to share.
0: Thanks, Rush. <clears throat> Next, we have an investor, Patrick Andrus. Patrick, you want to introduce yourself really quick?
2: Sure. Patrick
3: Andrus. Uh, I'm an investor. I've got two Air, two Airbnbs down in Panama City Beach, and I'm also an attorney.
0: Awesome. And last but not least, we have John Shelton, a home inspector in this area. John, you want to introduce yourself really quick? Good
4: morning, John Shelton, Aim Higher Home Inspections, uh, owner operator. Uh, the, the area we're covering is great. We service from uh, uh, Destin all the way to Carabell, which is Forgotten, Forgotten Coast. I do a lot of work in Forgotten Coast. Um, I think 1886 is the oldest house I've done. Uh, I've done so much out there. There's one weekend I actually did seven homes out there. I just got a motel and we stayed out there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I do a lot of lot of, lot of stuff on St. George Island and Apalachicola. I'm very familiar with that area.
0: Awesome. Thanks for coming on.
4: Yes, man. Thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just got back from the Forgotten Coast yesterday. We went on a little weekend fishing trip. It was awesome.
4: I think they're fishing is the best over there compared to over here. Less pressure,
0: so <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We only caught one thing, but we also don't know what we're doing when it comes to just you know fishing off the beach. So we did pretty good. <laughs> we caught a pompano. Oh
3: good eating! Nice. Yeah,
4: nice try.
0: <laughs> yep. All right. So what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of walk through the contract process. So if I'm an investor who's interested in making an offer on something, uh maybe I've had my agent go take some videos or maybe I've come into town and looked at some things. So let's talk about making offers and what the terms are on Florida contracts. So who wants to start?
2: Okay. Um I mean as far as uh, as far as I go or as far as I, you know, typically advise people, um you know, the the Florida contract, luckily, especially in this market, is pretty straightforward. Um, and especially over the past few years, once once COVID started, uh, we really got into a, a situation where I feel like most sellers specifically wanted an as is contract. Um, you know, with that, uh, again, that it's, it kind of made things a lot more simple for us. Uh, you you have you know the, I guess the standard is a 15 day inspection period. Um, you know, during that time period, uh, you know you can you know obviously you can do any inspections you prefer whatever you like. Um, you know. I always tell people though, you know, you, it, it isn't as is contract, uh, just because we find things on the inspection doesn't mean that a, a seller will typically work with us on those options. I mean, on those, those items or credit us money or do anything else. You know, there was a time during uh, specifically back in 2020, 2021, um, you know, you really didn't get anything at all back, but um, now we're kind of back in a position where we don't just have to use that as is contract and can, can kind of have a little bit more um, flexibility on, you know, our negotiating power and things of that nature. Um, But again, it's a, you know, standard for us, at least what I'm seeing is, you know, 1% EMD. What's EMD? Sorry, earnest money deposit. Uh, So we're still seeing about 1% of whatever you're offering as kind of like the standard, Uh, you know, sometimes we do get some pushback and ask for an additional amount, but that's, uh, I'm seeing that most of the time. Uh, Aside from that, um, it's it's really just, uh, you know, that inspection period, uh, we're still going with the ins- you know inspection, financing, and appraisal contingencies in most contracts, unless it's just some kind of unicorn property that the seller is just 100 positive, they're selling no matter what. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, 30 30 to 45 day closings, and that's uh, that's the majority of it. I want
1: to add something about that, that on an as-is contract, the seller does not even have an obligation to respond to a repair request. They don't even have to acknowledge it, although most of them do. And if I tell my clients, we will only try to negotiate items that impact safety or insurability. Nothing cosmetic and just because they are safety or insurability related does still doesn't mean they have to give us anything or offer anything. But my my position is always the seller knows what condition their property is in. And you know, they know if the roof is too old and they know certain things about their property. So we will try to negotiate, but I I try to prepare everybody to let them know. Also, I tell them the inspector is gonna find every little thing that's their job. So we're not going to look at all of those little tiny things. Those are for you to hire a, um, you know, an electrician or a plumber to come in for a day and fix all those things up yourself later. But I just wanted to flag that because people expect that because there's this long inspection report in that 15-day period that the seller will address all of those items. And that is not the case.
0: Good point. So let's back up a little bit and talk about the earnest money deposit. So... There's only... In Florida, there's just one deposit, right? It's just the earnest money and it's refundable if you terminate under the contingencies, right? Okay. And I want to hear from the attorney, Patrick, before we get too far into the inspection world. So when someone terminates a contract and gets their earnest money back in Florida, the seller has to sign the release to say, yes, you can have it back even if you even if it falls under the contingencies. So what does that actually mean? Because a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm terminating under the contingencies. I automatically get my earnest money back. But that's not the case. Can you kind of explain that in your
3: Both sides have to sign the waiver for the release and who gets the earnest money. And so if the parties don't actually sign it, then we have to go to court if we can't come to an agreement over the split of the earnest money and get a judge to sign off on who will get it back. So it's not a done deal if you did it under contingency. You may have to hire an attorney to go into court and get it signed and, and get your money back because it may be clear that you canceled under contingency, but for the uh, title company to give it, they have to have a the, the signed waiver by both parties to the contract. So uh, if you don't have the signed waiver, you gotta to go to court to get it back. So that's why, In most cases, you want as little earnest money in as possible, whereas the sellers try to maximize the earnest money they can hold up as much as possible. So it's just kind of give and take. That makes sense.
0: Yes, thank you. What I wanted for people to understand is I I see people sometimes they change their mind about a property and want to buy something else instead, and instead of like being honest with their buyer's agent, like, hey. Uh, I think I'd rather offer on this property. Like, what can we do to get out of this one? They try to get really cute with their earnest money because they are with the contingency wording to get their earnest money back and think that it'll just be automatic. So I want people to understand that you do have to act in good faith. And if you need to get out of the contract, like let us know and we'll do our best to do that um, legally without you know acting in bad faith. But uh, you gotta be honest with your agent to be able to, to move around and have some flexibility. But just know the seller could stub their toe that day and say, I don't feel like signing this. And then it has to go to a judge. And I've seen it happen. Like I've seen some people just dig their heels in where our buyers were totally... In, within their rights to terminate that contract. And the seller just was mad that they were terminating and didn't want to give it back. So just know, guys, it's not just, a, oh, yeah, they're holding it at the title company. Let me call and threaten the title company to give it back to me. Doesn't work like that. It's got to go to a judge. So just know that when you're putting earnest money down, it's not automatic to get it back.
3: Yeah, the, the title company is just holding the money in trust is what they're doing. They're not actually privy to the contract. That's the term that we need to use is privy. The and that means that y'all are in contract with each other. Title company is just this agent holding the money. So the only person you can actually sue is the seller or the buyer to get the earnest money, not the title company. They would add the title company in because they're the ones holding the money, but they're not actually on the hook for any damages.
0: Yeah. And it's not up to the title company to decide who gets it. I've, I've seen people yeah. call and want to fight with the title company and and plead their case as to why they should get their earnest money back, but it's just not up to them.
4: Exactly. Can I, can I offer one, one thing on that?
0: Please do. No, yeah.
4: Inspection part. Uh, so I've actually had one recently where we went verbally with the uh, agent and buyer were there. And the, and the agent said, well, that's enough to get out of this contract. By the way, we have another one scheduled at 1030. So they already had a second property lined up. And they basically used me to get out of, it, out of it. So I thought that was kind of an awkward situation. Uh, talking about suing, uh, I had one last week. It was uh, Front Beach Road. Rental. He talked to the neighbor. They weren't getting what they wanted. ROI. The neighbor isn't. So they got cold feet and they walked at closing table. And so it came up what was going to actually be forfeited, the, the earnest money, and what can you actually sue for? And that was kind of a. I, I kind of overheard the conversation, but uh I don't know if you wanted to touch on. It was like a certain percentage you could actually sue them for. It wasn't like yeah, I can sue you and you have to buy my house. So I was kind of. I was wondering if you wanted to talk on, on maybe how that works
3: if you do walk last minute if you do walk at the last minute and you've got all the contingencies done, you can actually sue them and make them buy the house. Wow. Uh, it, yes. Uh, it's called specific performance. Uh, and you can, in fact, there's a Kentucky case on point. That's a federal case uh, that would cover this. Uh, the guy signed on a napkin that he'd buy this house for X amount, as long as it's in writing and you've gone through all the contingencies to get out of it, you can force them to buy it because land and real estate is one of those things that is unique. So as long as it's in writing that and you've gone through all the contingencies, everything's been signed off on, they can they can force you to buy it.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't know they could do that. Wow. well, guys, I don't want to scare you all. I just want you guys to know that, like, when you're signing a contract, these are the things that don't happen very, very often. But if you get a little crazy, they can. Uh, so, okay. So back to the contract. So we talked about earnest money rush. You said an as is contract, which is pretty standard in this market in Florida. Uh, it can differ in other parts of Florida, but in the panhandle, typically sellers want the as is contract. Does that mean there are no contingencies to the contract?
2: No, there's still contingencies. The contingencies are actually pretty, uh, similar, just like, just like in most States or in most, uh, you know, most places and most types of contracts. Um, you know, like i said, Right now in this market, we're not, you know, we're not in the the craziness anymore like it was. It's still, you know, I I think it's still, you know, there's a lot of situations where we're still kind of seeing uh, some seller power and uh, a little bit of a seller's market more than you would in a lot of parts of the country, I'm sure. But even then, we're still in most cases seeing an inspection contingency, which, again, typically lasts 15 days. Every now and then they'll shorten it to 10 or, you know, request a lower one, Um, especially now that we are getting into summer in this market. Things are a little bit hotter. People want to know if they're going to, you know, they don't want to wait. They might not want to wait the whole two weeks to find out if somebody's going to continue with the contract or not. So they may shorten it for that reason. But we're still doing appraisal contingencies um, and we're still doing financing contingencies. So all of those are still there. That as is, is really just because from from my understanding, and from what I've seen in this market for so long, is although we have a ton of -of out-of-state buyers, we also have a ton of -of out-of-state sellers. Most of these properties, even if it's not, you know, if it is a current vacation rental, the last thing they want to do is cancel actual rentals to get inside there and you know repaint some baseboards or or just fix some minor cosmetics things that actually don't affect the sale of the house. Like they're not going to lose that money in rental income just to spend more money to fix a house that they're not even past the you know they're not even past all the contingencies yet. So that's why most of these sellers I feel like do prefer the ads as contract because they're not obligated for that. And even if it's not an actual rental, chances are there it's a second home or it's something like that. They have jobs elsewhere. They're busy doing their own thing. They're just kind of, you know, it just kind of works out better on the seller side to not be obligated to do all those things where in another market, you may, you know, you may have to fix all these things in order to get a buyer to continue with the property purchase.
1: The timeline too, I I don't know if you have that as a question, but From the the date of the contract, you have 15 days or 10 or whatever the contract says, but typically 15 for the inspection period, and you can cancel the contract for any reason in the inspection period. You do not need to even have had an inspection, and it does not need to be inspection-related, but you can cancel for any reason in that period. The effective date of the contract also starts the earnest money clock ticking and you have three business days from the date of the contract to get the earnest money deposit to the title company. And that's usually wired. So it's calendar days for inspection and business days for um, earnest money deposit.
0: That's an important distinction. And also an important distinction compared to other states is so Florida during the inspection period, you could terminate for any reason you want. You change your mind. You don't think you're gonna. You, you analyzed again and you did it wrong the first time, and you're like, wait, never mind. You can do that in other states. It has to be or some other states, not all other states. It has to be related to the inspection itself. So that's an important distinction. Also, what happens, Patrick? If and I've seen this happen before, where uh, a a buyer terminates before they deposit the earnest money, and they're still in that three day window before their deadline to terminate like they got under contract and then they're like wait a minute i don't want to buy this anymore and they terminate and now what uh when they didn't even deposit it they can just
3: it can pretty much walk away because it's going to cost too much to try and go back and get that earnest money you're talking about one percent to two percent of the purchase price it could be twenty thousand but you're going to pay an attorney which you're not going to get paid back in the u.s legal system normally mm-hmm. uh you're you're, you're going to pay them ten to fifteen thousand. It's just not worth it. So yeah. most people don't want to bother with it. They're going to show up to court. It's just a pain in the butt. You're not gonna you're not going to deal with that. So you yeah. just kinda, you're going to say, well, I'll find another buyer and move on. Yeah, that's, that's what normally yeah. happens. Now you have some people that say it's the principle of the matter, and they'll end up doing it, and it they're going to drive they're going to drive their attorney crazy, and probably go to court <laughs> attorneys at that point because uh, they're yeah.
2: that type of person. I've got this question a handful of times myself, actually in different different uh, cancellations and things. And I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. Um, let's say that a seller does refuse to sign a release and cancellation and mm-hmm. return the earnest money to the buyer. And the seller does decide to you know, hire a lawyer to keep that earnest money. Mm-hmm. Can that seller go forward and complete and relist their house the next day back active again and sell it while all this is going on or does it have to be settled first?
3: No, they can keep selling it because the contract has been canceled. The only, only question is over the earnest money. Unless it was not for one of the reasons in the contingency uh, period and uh, they want to force this person to buy it, then they can sue them for specific performance. But that's going to cost a lot of money. That's the reason you never hear of it. It's because the only time you're going to do that is when it's like such a unique piece of property, like a like maybe a Wyoming ranch or something like that. That's just amazing. Uh, but you know, or if it's worth a lot of money, but yeah, they can can relist it and sell it because the fight's only over the earnest money at that point. So the contract has been canceled except for that.
0: Okay. So as is contract doesn't mean there's no contingencies. You can still terminate and get your earnest money back if you're using any of those contingencies. Um, it, and it doesn't mean that you can't ask for repairs or concessions. It just means that the seller's not obligated. So guys, what I don't want you guys to take away from this podcast is like, oh, in Florida, I have to do as is and there's no contingencies. And that's really scary. It's just as is doesn't mean no contingencies. It just means you're not asking for stuff.
3: As an okay. investor, I bought two properties in Panama City Beach, and uh, I've asked for repairs. But what I really wanted when I went to ask for those repairs was them to knock some money off the purchase price. And I got it each time uh, because I was looking for properties that had been on the market for a while and stuff like that. So it is possible to get somebody to knock something off the purchase price. They probably won't do the repairs, but you might be able to get a little bit back at the closing table for some stuff, just depending on what it is. So don't don't say it never happens. It could happen.
0: I'd right. right. rather than give me money than do the repairs because I would like to be in control of those, so they're not half-assed, exactly. and all that. So
3: yeah, I'm, I'm. That's the way I am too. I, I I say I want all this stuff, but I'm really looking for money.
1: And that's what I do when I when we put a, a repair request together. We'll say we'd like these things fixed or X amount of dollars back okay. or whatever, and that, it's just easier for the seller, as you as Rush said. A lot of sellers are out of state too. They don't want to manage. I have somebody right now that they're they're an out of, they're already an out of state seller, but they're currently in Easter Island, wherever that is, and so you know the getting the repair done that we wanted is a little dicey. But
3: well, that is I mean, an awesome place to visit. It's three thousand miles off the coast of Chile.
1: Um, <laughs> wow. So I give I you know we gave them an option to give money back or whatever, and they were like, yeah, just handle that. Whatever. <laughs>
0: okay I have one more thing I want to address before we move on to the to diving into the inspection so there's one thing that I've found to be pretty unique to Florida in terms of contracts or not not unique but done much more often in this market anyway than other markets that we operate in and that is a kickout clause so who wants to give a definition of a kickout clause
1: so generally speaking it's a 72 hour period where the um the seller has the option to, kick out the first buyer if they get a better offer. So this would happen in circumstances where there's like maybe a really long closing time or the um the, the buyer is trying to sell a property first. And so the, you know, the the seller might take the offer, but and this would happen if there's few offers or no offers except this one, because if there's competitive offers, then nobody would would add this in. But basically I'm saying, well, I like your offer okay, but I don't really like this part and this part. So we're going to, we want a 72 hour kickout clause, because if we get a better offer, then we're going to come back to you and say, you have 72 hours to either improve your offer, meet the terms, whatever you need to do um, to, to basically beat that offer. And then if, if it comes to that, then they can execute the kickout clause. So it's, it's basically a contingency for the seller to opt to opt for a better contract. If one comes.
2: But if the, The person in first position, if they're willing to drop all their contingencies that were part of their original offer, they can continue with the original contract. So basically, you know, yeah, if you just if you had an inspection period or it was contingent on you selling a house and you actually have the means to purchase the property you're under contract for without selling that house, you just kind of prefer to sell the house. So I mean, if you still want it bad enough and you can go ahead and and do it without having to sell the house, you can drop that contingency from the contract and still move forward with your original price and everything.
0: All right. Yeah, we don't see that too terribly often. I think we're going to see it more now that the market slowed down a little bit, but it's definitely something to keep in mind because most of the time, if you're looking at properties on the MLS or Zillow or whatever, they'll still show as active. So you won't know until your agent reaches out to the agent to make an offer that, oh, hey, actually it's under contract with a kickout clause. Um, So that's that. Let's move on to inspections. Then we will move on to financing. So you got 15 days, typically, depending on what you negotiate in the contract, to get your inspection done. John, what does a typical home inspection in the Florida panhandle consist of looking at all that?
4: Well, in Florida, it's a little bit different uh, <clears throat> because we have a lot of insurance moving parts that you don't have in other states. Uh, the guy I worked under, trained under, is a friend of mine in Alabama, and you know they don't deal with any of the... The stuff we have down here, as far as uh, there's two two specific items that usually comes up, uh, a wind mitigation and a four point report are the two most common insurance uh, issues we have to get over. The uh, wind mitigation is you're trying to lower your insurance annual premium. It's optional. You can you know you can pay five thousand or you can pay two thousand. Uh, so to get the credit for your your wind discount. You do what's called the wind mitigation, and that's where we check for hurricane clips and nailing of the roof. And, and we try to do those on – they're they're required on homes built prior to 2002, but we try to do them on all homes now uh, just because insurance uh, standards are are not what I'm used to. Where I wouldn't normally do them, now they're making us go back and do them, so it's just cheaper for me to do it on there than to go back later and charge more money. So I try to do them. I've actually ran into, so the hurricane clips are the biggest things that get you a discount. And that's where the the truss, the roof system comes to the outside wall of the house and it's tied together the top plate with the truss and you have what's called a hurricane clip. It's a metal plate that ties the two together and it prevents the roof from ripping off during the hurricane. It's a really, really big issue. What we're actually running into on new construction, another reason I like doing them even on new construction, there's a, a builder here locally who has decided to save a couple pennies is all it's gotta be, but there's an additional code option where you can screw the truss down from the top down and then from the top plate up. So you have a screw and a screw, but now you put your roof decking on top of your truss and you put drywall over those screws. So when I get there on a home inspection and I go, I don't see any hurricane clips and I got the builder going, yeah, but we screwed it, but I can't see it. So I can't give you the credit. So I got to mark it as toenail. Which you know is 1960s construction um so what normally happens on a situation like that and the insurance company goes yeah but we don't need that wind mitigation now so don't worry about it it's gone by the house we don't need it the problem is going to be in five years if another storm comes through and they get a new roof well then they're going to need a new wind mitigation and at that point it's going to be pointed out again hey you don't have hurricane clips and we can't verify the other option um so that's kind of i don't understand why they're doing that i'm really pushing back on the builder it is to code and they can do it I don't understand the, the reason behind it. Um, so that's a wind mitigation. And then if you have a uh, window protections, uh, that would get you a discount. There's a lot of different things you can get to get discounts. And that's where we do that form and do that inspection. And then you turn that into your insurance and get your your discounts. Um, then the other one is a four point inspection. And it's, I like it. I, I'm retired military. So I like, I'm retired air force. Uh, and I, I like the standardizations. I like the check and balance system um, and, Florida, they have it, I feel, because we have what's called a four-point inspection. So if the property is older than, used to be older than 20 years old, you would have to do it. We try to do those on all homes now. So you have that documentation if insurance all of a sudden decides they want it. Um, so that's the four points of the house, the roof, the plumbing, the electrical, and the AC. We have to inspect basically all four of those areas and then turn that into your insurance. Um, and what, I, what I'm what i saying on a check and balance is, if I tell, if I tell the buyer, hey, your roof is shot, Well, now I got to turn out and do your insurance paperwork and on your insurance paperwork, I have to say, what's the, uh, the remaining life on the roof. Well, there's to get a VA loan. It has to have at least three years conventional loan. I'm sorry, VA it's five years. Conventional loan is three years. So I have to give you at least three years. So if I tell you, Hey, your roof is weathered, you're gonna have to repair it soon you know, your, your insurance document is going to say you have three years remaining. So there's kind of a check and balance there that whatever I tell you in the report, your insurance documents have to, to match it. So, um, you know, I can't tell you your roof is shot and insurance, you have 10 years left. So that's what I like about that. The biggest thing we normally get is, uh, the roof and electrical, uh, there's certain electrical things they won't insure: fire hazards, uh, safety hazards, plumbing. There's certain, uh, Water pipes—they won't insure. Like polybutylene, that was in the 1990s. That was the the new PEX. Uh, there's a big lawsuit out there on those guys. Um, so if a house has polybutylene, it'll have to be replumbed more than likely to get insurance. There is a uh, there's a loophole along with everything. Uh, insurance can actually write the policy on the house if you have polybutylene. It just doesn't cover anything water related. Uh, I don't have the statistics in front of me but i would have to say the highest claim is going to be water you know laundry bathrooms anything window uh so you can still get insurance but there is a little loophole there uh likewise galvanized pipe old old piping they're having a problem with that now as well so those are the the florida unique uh insurance documents that we have to do and then you go into the regular home inspection uh which we do on on homes you know like the forgotten coast there's a lot of them over there that have a uh, crawl space uh we have some here in panama city too but usually your beach homes and older homes have crawl space uh that's a that's a unique situation on itself we're running into a lot of them now are uh putting spray foam on the subfloor so when you crawl underneath to do your inspection you really can't see anything you can't see the integrity of the wood for any uh, termite damage um so the structural integrity of it so that kind of stinks when that happens and when they do that, then that makes it difficult to get a, a pest, get a bound for pest inspection, too, because the uh, WDO report can't inspect the wood either. Um, so on the the home, we do the, the, the whole thing. I mean, anything we can touch, we try to put our hands on it from the roof, get up on the roof, inspect that in the attic for insulation. I have a... Uh, I've had seven homes so far with no insulation in it uh, with my, my oddest story being actually on St. George Island. It was a seven year old home. When I got in the attic, there was no insulation in the attic The air conditioner was located in the attic. And the HVAC guy had taken notes on the unit that he kept servicing the AC because the house was hot all the time, but never pointed out it didn't have any insulation in it. Um, so new, new homes, there's still a good idea to get inspected. There's a lot of stuff. In fact, I was, I'm, we had an inspection this morning that we walked on because it's it's supposed to be ready and there's just we just showed up and there's just so many things wrong with the house that i said yeah we're not even gonna do it um so from the plumbing we we test we, we we do a lot of pictures on a new construction i bet we still have 120 to 150 pictures we take pictures of the register when we're testing the ac uh we take pictures of the water temperature when we're, when we're doing the water uh, our reports are really really under up to the point I hardly ever get a call back. They're just so in depth and detailed. And, uh, but we just, we document everything from loose toilets to dripping faucets. Um, you know, in the cosmetic thing, I get it that, you know, that's not going to be repaired, but you still, we still have to write it up. The way I look at it is if you have a crack in a ceiling, is that going to get repaired? No. Is a cosmetic? Yes. I write it up because when they move in and three months later, they lay on the living room floor to watch TV and they look up and see that crack. They're gonna think foundation issues. Why well, wasn't this pointed out? And they can just blow everything up. Um, after Hurricane Michael it was really cool. I had a lot of, I had a lot of homeowners reach out to me and say, "Hey, I need my, I need my home inspection report." Insurance is pushing back, and I had a stucco and stucco house in Bay Point that insurance said that the stucco was had to have been jacked up like that forever, and I had enough pictures to provide from them because they had just bought it like six months earlier and we had enough documentation on their house condition prior to the storm to show that the house was in much better condition than after the storm they were able to get more money because of our report so it's really cool when things like that happen that you you can later on use your 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 utilities and reports to help people out
0: yeah that's that's awesome that you're able to do that so you can't, you can't inspect anything that you can't see. So you guys are not opening up walls. You're not doing that kind of thing. Like you can't, I, I hear people sometimes say, well, like, how do I know if the electrical is good? Well, or, you know, something that's inside the wall and that's not a home, that's not within the scope of a home inspection, right?
4: Right. Yeah. You can't see it behind the walls. You know, we check all the, the, we turn all the lights on, check all the receptacles uh there's two of us when we do an inspection myself and my, my assistant uh we like to say we're we're the most educated inspectors in town uh i have a master's degree in aeronautical science and he has his master's degree in uh education and the, the two of us work together all day long um we we inspect and then we get back in the truck and we type as we go but with us having two it's really crucial because like when i do underneath the house if i'm inspecting the plumbing well If I'm a single man operation, how do I really inspect the plumbing? I can't turn the plumbing on and go underneath the house because who's watching the house? Well, when he and I do it, uh, if it has a septic or any kind of drainage, we we turn the water on, we fill all the tubs up. And then when I go underneath the house, he lets all the tubs go at the same time and flushes the toilets all at the same time. So some can make the argument that's an unrealistic way to test it because that's never going to happen. But it could, you know, it could. And we're there to see what happens when we when we do apply those uh those kind of tests. And for us, then I go underneath the house. And when all that's happening, um, I have lots of horror stories, but I was actually under under a nineteen old old house. And uh while I was underneath the bathroom, it all backed up and started leaking all oh over God. me. And oh, I'm banging on the floor screaming and yelling and Trying to figure out what's going on. And it was cute. The homeowner knew about the issue, but didn't tell us. Um, so that wasn't very cool. Uh sometimes it, you just can't go under the house because there's plumbing leaks and you know, there's there's things going on that you're not gonna crawl through to get to those areas to look at, anyways. Um, so that's that's the cool thing about having two people is we can we can take those risks because he's inside running the water while I'm underneath the house and giving it a real thorough inspection.
0: Aeronautical science. What in the world are you gonna do with that?
4: but yeah, exactly. When I got ready to retire. So my last eight years, I was on the, uh, the staff level. Um, so I did my last eight years. I traveled, I inspected military facilities. I was on the road two to three weeks every month for eight years. And, um, when I retired, I wanted to do something with it, but I was, I'm over, I'm over sitting at a desk inside. I never want to do another staff meeting. These are fun and cool. Um, much better than, than the ones I had to set through on um, my military days.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk about some really common things that show up on regular home inspections. We'll talk about ancillary inspections after this. So what are some things that are super common that might freak somebody out that hasn't bought a house in Florida before?
2: Uh, I mean, we're, we're always, we're, at least for me, um, I think about every inspection I've ever seen has always had at least one fogged window. Um, a lot of times it's more than that. And that's just one of those things. Um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, John, you might be able to elaborate more on that than I can, but I, I just, I guess windows just don't last that long around here.
4: After, after Hurricane Michael, most people got them replaced. Those who didn't, um, like I didn't at first in my house, but it took about 18 months and then they started fogging. Uh, they're just not built for that kind of wind. And it, it took a while for mine to show up. And I think a lot of that is due to Hurricane Michael. Um, but yes, fog and windows are definitely, definitely a common, common finding.
2: Also see a lot of uh, corrosion on anything that is metal and outside. I mean, kind of like the rust Avery mentioned, but I mean, just anything. I mean, if it's next to, a, I mean, a lot of times even on water heaters and stuff like that, I mean, on, that are only inside of the house. I, we still see a lot of corrosion um, behind toilets, just under sinks everywhere.
4: And the corrosion, especially with like the air conditioners, you know, the house is going to be 10 to 15 years for your outside unit. But if you have a a condensing unit on top of the roof on a beachfront house or condo, you know, you're down to and they'll start really showing signs of wearing about eight years, you know, eight to 10 years are pretty well rusted.
3: I was going to say the GFCIs always show up on the report too.
4: GFCIs and we try to document like we did a prospect prominence, I think that's what it's called. Their GFCI reset is in their laundry room. So if you trip a receptacle on the balcony, garage, or outside, normally it's in the garage, but they have theirs in the uh, laundry room underneath the subpanel. So we take time to actually document that. We take a picture of it and go, hey, your, your reset location is in this area. Just, to, you know, if, if it's odd to me and it takes me a minute to find it, then I make sure to, to write it up, you know, new owner informational purpose only so they we can use that document that's needed. I would say my biggest, most common, uh, to Florida, if you will, uh, would be microbial growth, which is a college word for mold. Um, but you can't say mold because you can't say it unless you test it. Um, I just did one St. George Island on Thursday, a matter of fact, and that one I got up in the attic. It was a three story beachfront house. When I got in the attic, it had, uh, originally had, uh, insulation the the pink insulation and they raked most of it out the rakes were still up there and there was some debris still left uh, and then they blew on spray foam on the roof decking so they removed their insulation they they sprayed on foam on the ceiling so i couldn't really tell what was going on there the ac was located in the attic and i think that's what the issue was there um and there was mold in the attic and so you know i called my buyer and he said just do it if you were buying it just test test as much of it as you would if you were to buy it so we did that house and um, we took samples on all three floors and got those results back this weekend. But I, I'd say mold is one of the bigger uh from out of state, you know, when 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 I talk to my if I talk to the agent, they go, How's my buyer gonna feel about that that mold statement? And I go, well, where are they from? Uh, they're from the north. Oh, they're gonna freak out. You know, if they're from the south, they're you know, it is what it is. I mean, everybody's used to it down to here. Um, that's why you would get it tested. And and it's always it's always best, you know, peace of mind. You know, that if, if, it, if it has it, and it, it's pretty common, um, but it's not always active. Just because it's there, it goes dormant. So just because you can see it, and that's where when you do the test, it's really weird because I can see it, but then the test says it's not there, and that means it's dormant. It has to have the water supply to, to stay alive. It's a plant. So at that point, we know that it's dead and we can move on. It is, if it's airborne and it shows up on the re, on the report from the, the samples, then you got to get it properly remediated from there electrical we have a lot of electrical issues um and again there's things older homes if, if it had cloth wiring for example you can't get insurance uh, i have i think three homes under my belt with aluminum wiring which that's pretty cool when you take the panel apart and it's all it's all silver instead of copper um mm-hmm. but that's from the uh 1970s and uh not very common but it, we do see that occasionally um likewise down here there's Another common with insurance is if your water heater is greater than eleven years old, a lot of insurance companies won't insure it. So it's it's it doesn't make a lot of sense because I mean you could have a 15 a year old water heater that's perfectly fine and not leaking and replace it with a new modern one that probably won't last 15 years, but they have a they have a threshold that they're willing to take the risk on. And once that hits a certain point, they're gonna want want those fixed too. So the age of age it used to be a roof would be a big issue down here but after michael you know most people have new home or new roofs so we don't run into as many roof issues uh we after hurricane michael we ran into a lot of them being installed but not to code to where the roof decking wasn't properly nailed down so even though you have a pretty fancy new roof it still may not be installed right uh, i think i have about seven under my belt where they had to rip the entire roof off and renail it because if they didn't renail the decking uh, to Florida Building Code standards, then the decking's loose and they have to tear it all up and then renail it.
0: So when you put beyond useful life on for appliances, does that mean they need to be replaced right now or does that mean they're working fine, but they're kind of old?
4: Well, the way I have my report uh, document is it says typical lifespan of HVAC is 10 to 15 years old. Yours is a 2001. So, I mean, I've told you the typical and yours is a 2001 and then we, you know, take pictures of it and show that it's working. So just because it's and that's a that's a, a tough argument that it's beyond or past its typical life experience, because what I what I say is, hey, you know, this lady living here is as 90 years old, I guarantee you she's not using the AC as hard as a 20 year old would be. So just because it's older, was it properly serviced? Has it it been used uh, accordingly? Or has it been abused? So the age isn't always uh, a true factor on whether or not. And additionally, different manufacturers, you know, there's a company here, I don't want to give a plug for a company, but there's there's a company here who makes ACs and their tagline is nothing can stop a train. And I've seen, I've seen train air conditioners i think the oldest one i've seen is 22 years and it was working fine um so you know just just because they're up there it doesn't mean it has to be replaced right now but this is something for you to budget for future future repairs
0: yeah what ancillary uh inspections should people get outside of just a regular or what's common outside of a regular home inspection or pest inspection separate radon? what's common around here
4: okay that's a great question uh radon uh, I don't have the radon equipment just because that's kind of an upsell uh, scam, if you will. I don't believe in, in those kind of things. There's a map out there that shows where radon is prevalent. And in this area, it's not. I get some people from the North who want it, um, but I can usually t- direct them to the, uh, the website to show, hey, you, it's not prevalent here, you're wasting your money. And once they see that, then they're okay with that. Um, the insurance inspections, those are pretty much a must. So you can do those. And then the way, uh, the way I do my mold is there, there is a way you can upsell it when the buyer calls, you know, you can try to talk them into it, you know, kind of a scare tactic. I don't go that approach. I just leave it as is. And if I'm doing an inspection, I see it. Uh, I'll usually take a picture and text it to them or FaceTime them and go, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. Uh, if you want it, I can do it. The report's going to say you're going to have it. And if you want me to come back, if you want to look at, I like to give them the option of look at the whole report. If you still want to go forward and you want me to come back later, I'll still do it for the same price or I can do it while I'm here. Oftentimes they go, you know, I just want to know everything now. Um, so mold testing, I even when people call me and they go, should I, you know, I go, let me look at the house, you know, let me look see what I think. And uh, then we'll go from there. But if they want it, that's definitely something we can add to the inspection me if i were to buy i would get one done just peace of mind you know i'd hate to get in there and you know the first couple nights start coughing and going "Hmm, what we get ourselves into because after after the storm i mean there's a lot of homes that were severely damaged and kind of patched back together and you just don't know the uh the condition of the house so mold testing is always something good to do uh wdo pest inspections definitely definitely a good thing to do on that there's a there's kind of a loophole they're doing now to where some home inspectors can do them. Uh, I've, I've researched it. I do not do it. The loophole is so the company contacted me and said, here's how it works. So it's a three day weekend online training. Once you're done, you will be trained to do WDOs.
1: Wood and destroying organisms. Yes. <laughs> yes.
4: So any, any pest damage, termite stuff. Um, so the way that would work is then I would bill my client, $125. Now, keep in mind, I have a three-day uh, weekend class under my belt. And I'm I'm a professional at this point. I would charge my client the same amount of money as a WDO inspector would, and then I would forward all this information to this online service, and they would generate the report under their, their pest license, and then they would kick back 45 bucks to me me it makes no sense i mean why would i charge my client 125 dollars with my three days of experience when they can go down the street and get somebody who does it day in and day out and they're going to charge them 125 dollars and give them a much better product so that is something i don't do i i do see uh, some inspectors doing it out there and, and i don't i don't think it's right and i don't know how legal it is to even go about that route so that's something that they can i recommend them hire a uh, their own pest inspector, a licensed pest inspector.
1: That also includes fungi.
4: Fungi. And, and there's different um different inspectors out there that do that. When we can do them at the same time, that's really, that's really good because we can kind of bounce what you see. Um, but that doesn't usually, we don't often line up to do them at the same time, which isn't that big of a deal. We do water test, you know, if you have a well, we can do water samples and send those off. Um, some some loans require it. Uh, septic. Septic's another another uh Another good inspection, um, especially in like the beach areas where it's smaller uh, for us. If, like I said, we tried to we try to max the system out. So for us, for, you know, we can't take the septic apart and inspect it like you were talking about earlier. We can't see behind walls. so It's the same deal. With the septic we can't take it apart. So all we try to do is uh, max it out and see if we can get it to fail. Um, we have one last week, two weeks ago with a new construction. They have what's called the lift station. So, you know, it's new construction in an older part of town where the drain systems are a little bit different. So you have kind of like a sump pump for your sewage and it fills up and then there's a float that then goes off and it pushes your, your waste to the city. Uh, so we're doing a new house, three story, and we we're maxing the, the plumbing out again, released all the tubs at the same time. And all of a sudden this alarm went off and this is a million dollar house. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I'm yelling at my assistant stop all the plugs, stop, you know, stop all the water. So what had happened was the plug wasn't, the receptacle just wasn't pushed in good enough and it wasn't good good contact. So that had an alarm on it to go, hey, your water's getting too high and it was going off. So that's how we inspected that. But definitely definitely a good idea to get a a septic inspected. Uh, The property I'm in has a septic. I've never owned a house with a septic and I was really, really leery about it when I bought it. I've lived there almost 20 years and I've had no issues with it. Um, and the, the thing about Florida that's unique is every gallon you use, you have to pay a sewer charge on it. So if you get a glass of water, it's a sewer fee. If you wash your car, you have to pay sewer fee. If you water your yard, you have to pay sewer fee. If you have a septic, you don't have to do that. So you save that cost. So the septic is actually a cost, cost efficient option to go with. And, you know, if you get inspected and there's nothing wrong with it, it's good to go. Uh, they'll they'll tell you if it's an older tank or if it's a good tank, and
3: and provide you those estimates as well. I'd also say a pool inspection as well if you got. Oh yeah, yeah. pool inspections we do those do those as well.
4: Um, I like those. Some of some of the beach ones can get a little bit <laughs> advanced and complicated. Like holy smokes, I mean, some of those are pretty uh, pretty unique. We did one uh, over in uh, Green Mountain where it was uh, one of those overflow looking pools, you know, where it's on the edge of the house and, and you know, it was elevated and the pipes ran through all the concrete. I'm pretty sure it had some settling of the house going on and the pipes were cracked. I'm pretty sure because none of it was working and water was coming down the wall and I don't know how you'd fix that. That'd
3: be a pretty expensive fix. Um, But yeah, we do. We do all those too.
0: Awesome. Well, that's a pretty comprehensive list. Uh, I I think that's all my questions regarding inspections. So thank you very, very much, John.
4: Yes, ma'am. Thank you.
0: And uh, we are moving on to the financing contingency. So there are some things about the financing contingency in Florida that are different than other states. So let's, let's talk about that. What's a financing contingency to start off?
3: Basically, that you can get financing on the house for what you say you can buy it for. And that you're going to get approved for financing. So based upon all the factors.
1: And if you can't get financing during the finance contingency period, you have to have a letter from the lender that says that they cannot get financing. They don't have to disclose the the reasons and the personal financial information. But you can't just say, oh, I couldn't get financing. I need my earnest money back. You actually have to have a lender state that.
0: Yeah. So basically you can terminate the deal if for some reason your loan gets denied, um, which is pretty standard across most real estate contracts. But the thing that's different about Florida is that loan commitment date. So can somebody tell me what a loan commitment date is and when it is during a contract?
2: Most of the time, I mean, the, the, same, I guess the, the default on the the contract, I get to 30 days for the loan commitment. Um, you know, kind of the same thing with the, uh, with the inspection periods, you know, back 20, you know, but prior to 2020, it wasn't really an issue, but, um, you know, later in the, I guess, summer of 2020, things got crazy and all the multiple offers, high bids, everything's like that, you know, you know, highest and best came in, it kind of got common that we would see, you know, a seller request a shorter, you know, period for the, for the commitment period. And so they'd shorten it to, you know, 14 days, like we want to know within 14 days that you either have. You know your uh, your loan approval, or at least conditional approval, or something. Uh, we, we've we've kind of gotten away from that again. Uh, I try to typically make the loan commitment, um, you know, as far out as I possibly can. But you know, even then, um, you know, most sellers are going to want to see it at least a few days before the actual close date, so they don't get to closing and then find out that they're not closing.
0: Yeah. So it kind of works like an inspection deadline, but for financing. So in some states, your loan can get denied two minutes before you sign those docs and you're good. You get your earnest money back because your loan was denied and it falls under that contingency. But in Florida, if it's denied after that loan commitment date, then you do not get your earnest money back, right?
3: Unless the seller agrees to give it back.
0: Yeah, unless they, <laughs> unless they give you it You can still it. ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's something to keep in mind when you're under contract in Florida. You do have to pay attention to that timeline because if you're not, because I know y'all, it's really really annoying when lenders ask you for all these documents and it feels like they've asked you for the same thing a thousand times. But if you drag your feet getting them those docs and things that they're asking for, then you could miss that deadline. So you want to make sure that you're timely with getting. And I guys, I know it's super annoying. I I have everything in a folder on on my computer, but. Um, make sure you're being timely. And even if you're super annoyed with your lender about asking for the same thing a thousand times, because you do have a a date, it's not just the close date that you have to hit.
3: One thing I do as an investor is I write down in my due diligence, every single date that I've got on my contingency. So I know that when we're getting close on something, whether it's a commercial property, whether it's wherever it is that way, I I can request an extension if we haven't gotten what we need, or I tell them I've got to cancel because I haven't gotten this. So I, I try to be proactive and be the squeaky wheel as an investor. Uh, I think you have to be uh, that way you don't get caught with your pants down.
1: Yeah, uh, our connection coordinators are super great about keeping people on track also. But you as a buyer definitely need to be in the driver's seat on that. This is your contract. And so you want to make sure that you are on top of the dates as well.
0: Yeah. And your, your agents aren't involved in your lending process. So we don't know like what the lender's asking you for, where y'all are in that process. Like you've given them seven of the eight docs that they need. We don't know that stuff. So you got to kind of keep us in the loop on, yes. on what's yes. going on there so that we can make sure that we're helping you make sure <laughs> that your deadlines are hit. So keep that in mind. Make sure, too, that you disclose everything to your lender up front, even if you think it's not relevant to the deal. I've seen people not tell their lender that they were getting funds from a HELOC, and then they, after the loan commitment date, couldn't get the HELOC because their DTI, I can't remember the exact scenario, but there were things that weren't disclosed about the HELOC to the lender. And then the loan was denied after the commitment date. And then, you know, you just don't want any surprises close to closing. So even if you think it doesn't matter, you're buying a house in another market, you're selling a house in another market, you're getting HELOC, you're getting a whatever. HELOC means home equity line of credit, by the way. Make sure your lender knows all of that up front. And make sure you don't do anything crazy during the contract, like quit your job or uh go get another loan, finance a car. A lot of people mess up and will, especially if the property is not coming furnished and go finance a bunch of furniture before closing, that can mess up your DTI. It can mess up the loan. So uh, just disclose, disclose, disclose to your lender. They're here to help you. They're not here. They're not looking for a reason to deny you. They're looking for reasons to not deny you. (laughs) So just keep that in mind.
1: I just had a customer who's under contract right now, and the lender just found out that they closed on another property not very long ago. It's going to be okay, but it was like, oh, yeah, you should have known that. You should have told us that.
3: And you're not going to be worried about DTI if you're in a DSCR loan product because they're not looking at your DTI for that. So
0: Yeah, and we have a whole episode where we're going to dive into that, so y'all don't have to worry about that too much. On this one, just stay tuned for the financing episode. But now now that we're on the subject of financing, let's talk about appraisals and what happens if an appraisal comes in lower than the contract price. Is the deal dead? Does the seller have to come down? What do we do when that happens?
3: It's happened twice to me. So uh, the first deal <laughs> I did was in November of 2021. Of course, that's the crazy market. Uh, it appraised for $50,000 less than the, uh, uh, than the purchase price. I had the uh seller actually give me a promissory note for the furniture in the house uh on that one to to as an, as the appraisal gap difference. So uh that that worked out great for me. I didn't have to come up with an extra 50,000. Uh and it uh was disclosed to the lender and disclosed uh to the agent and disclosed to everybody. So everybody knew about it, but it was for the furnishings in the house uh and that—that's how we got around it on that one. And I got a great interest rate on it too.
0: <laughs>
3: so the other time we had them drop the price a little bit because uh, it just uh, it this was one that sat on the market for almost 300 days. It was beachfront, and I was going to do a total rehab on it. So, uh, and they dropped the price. They came down a little bit.
0: Okay, so three or I guess four things can happen if it if it appraises low. One most ideal thing is the seller comes down to the appraised value. Uh, two, you can come out of pocket for the extra between the appraised value and the purchase price. Three, you can negotiate to somewhere in the middle or four, you can terminate the contract if if the seller is not willing to work with you on that. So there are options. It just opens the renegotiation up a
1: little bit. Correct me, everybody, if I'm wrong, but... If the house does not appraise, that is not part of the financing contingency.
3: No, it's part of the appraisal contingency, which is completely separate. And if you're in a DSCR loan product, they may require you, depending on the purchase price the house, to have two appraisals. uh, And they may not disclose that up front. The DSCR lender may not.
0: So I think appraisals are pretty straightforward, Uh, although I will say. If one comes in low, an appraisal at the end of the day is still just one person's analysis. So two appraisers can appraise the exact same property and come up with different numbers. If you get an appraisal that you don't like, unfortunately, we can't just go get another appraiser uh, because there's all kinds of laws in place to keep buyers and agents and lenders from influencing the appraisals uh, because that's how 2008 happened. So what you would have to do is if you if it's pretty clear that like okay maybe this guy was having a bad day and or maybe he missed something or maybe he missed some comps and it really should not have appraised for this what you would probably have to do in order to to actually get a new appraisal is switch lenders entirely and start the process over I've seen that happen and I've seen it work uh, I had one where I was a listing agent or no I was, sorry as a buyer's agent oh man this was probably back in like 2018 and they appraised us for twenty thousand under a house that had sold that was exactly the same, exact same floor plan, exact same square footage that it sold the month before. And the buyer didn't have the extra seller wouldn't come down. And she said, Well, I'm just going to go get another lender and and try this. And it worked. The next appraiser appraised used that comp that was exactly the same. So you do typically have to start over.
3: And it also depends on what loan product you're using for what kind of kind of appraisal. There's two type of types of appraisals. The cost approach, which is where you're looking at the comps in the neighborhood and the income approach, where they're looking at what the property is actually going to bring in in income. So th- those are two completely separate numbers. Uh, and uh, it's an extra on the appraisal if you're doing the income approach. So you need to know what kind of appraisal that you are required to get for your loan product as well.
0: All right. I think that covers appraisals. So let's talk about the closing day. So there's a few things that happen the week of closing. So we've made it through all our contingencies. We've made it through inspection. We've made it through appraisal. We've made it through financing. We're on our way to closing. There's something called a final walkthrough or final inspection that is used to basically just make sure the house is in the same or better condition than it was when you got under contract or had it inspected. And who can do a final walkthrough uh, for a buyer, guys? Buyer. Or the inspector. Right. The, your, you, you yourself, the buyer, or the home inspector who you use to do the inspection are the two people who can do a, a final walkthrough for you. Real estate agents cannot do a final walkthrough for you <clears throat> because we are not contractors. We are not home inspectors. We can miss things that are outside of our scope. It's happened to me when I was new. I did a final walkthrough for a buyer and did a video, everything looked good, left, we closed, a couple weeks later, he's like, hey, the floor in this one bathroom was really, really squishy, like, what the hell were you doing? I'm like, I don't know, I didn't sit on the toilet, it was, because it was had like a wax ring that needed to be replaced, so, and it had, I guess been doing that for a while, I guess the inspe- inspector missed it, I don't really remember, it was a long time ago, uh, but he came after me and was mad that I missed the squishy floor, and I'm like, I'm not a contractor, I don't know if it's squishy or what, Um, so that's why you don't have real estate agents do final walkthroughs because we don't know. I mean, great example. I don't know what squishy, (laughs) like, is it supposed to be like that? I don't know. I didn't feel it. I had on boots. So you want to have a home inspector or a contractor or yourself, ideally, uh, if you can, I know most people buy out of state, but if you're buying out of state home inspector or contractor or someone who is trained in inspecting repairs or things that need to be repaired which is not me
2: and even if there's no repairs i mean there's there's still different items specifically in, you know this kind of market a lot of houses are being sold as you know quote turnkey and you know I've, previously there have been times in the, in the past where uh i just wasn't quite know as much as i should have about my ability to do walkthroughs and you know i went through and did a walkthrough and the house looked great to me but at the same time my buyers come to town and you know uh, an item that they actually noticed and really liked made it maybe had been swapped out by the sellers or maybe the sellers had taken some things that were actually supposed to be included. And that just wasn't on my radar when I walked through, because, you know, this, this particular beach painting on the wall wasn't important to me when I walked through. Um, however, it could have been very important to the people buying the property. And so just another reason why, um, even if it's not something that I'm not technically qualified, such as like repairs or construction, uh, there's still a lot of other things that could go wrong. So um, yeah. it's just not, you know, not the best for us to, to do that.
1: And in the properties that so many of them here do come turnkey and furnished with everything, it's important to know if there's a property management company, they might have all the linens. They might own all the linens and take those. So don't expect that. Or there might be, you know, it might be used as a second home for people and there's personal items. So we want to make sure we get an exclusions list at the beginning so that the, the buyer knows what they're buying and what they are not buying.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And last thing, this is the last part that I see buyers get tripped up on a lot, or not a lot, it happens sometimes, is when is possession given? So don't come to town expecting to close at the title company at 1 p.m. and take the keys and go to your house because a lot of things can happen, things can get pushed back. Uh, So when is possession given in this market, in this county, or these several counties in Florida?
1: I say anything can happen until the keys and the money change hands. Yeah. So the money is what has to change. I mean, I've had sellers not give keys at closing until they saw the money in their account, and then I could pick up the key. So
0: yeah,
1: and not that a time happens, but I would say that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Sometimes they'll give it to you after everybody's signed, even if the money hasn't shown up yet, but sometimes they won't. So just... Keep that in mind and they can hang on to them until until the money shows up. So just try not to I would I would close remotely. This is what my favorite thing to do. Close remotely from wherever you live and plan to go. You know, if you're closing Monday, okay, I'm going to drive up there Thursday a few days after closing. So that gives everything time to change hands and and get where it needs to be before you're like getting all pissed off at everybody about not being able to get into your house let everything yeah. settle down. I mean, How did
1: a buyer come to town with a trailer full of furniture and they did not close? And he had, and it was like spring break week or something. Oh he had to get a, a, you know, an expensive hotel and then he had to turn around with all his furniture and go home because for whatever reason, the loan did not close. It was not going to. So.
0: Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. That's terrible.
3: Once the closing attorney has told you that the funds have been wired to them, to me, and all the documents have been signed. That's when you have a legal right to take possession. Maybe the seller still hold on to the keys, but they really don't have a legal right at that point. Once they have, you know, there's proof of wired funds going because it's not your fault as the buyer. If the seller gave the wrong bank account, that's not your problem to me. Yeah. So,
2: it's yeah. also a lender thing too, you know, sometimes you can sign, you know, buyer and seller, let's say buyer, or let's say seller's closing remotely, buyer's closing in person or remotely, whatever. I mean, I've had situations where, the, the, the lender wire didn't come in until later in the day and they might've, you know, they might've signed that morning at eight or nine o'clock, but I mean, until that lender wire comes through and at least hits title, a lot of times the sellers are not going to give you access to the house just because you've signed the paperwork.
1: And we want to know as agents, are you coming in person or not? Because that makes a difference for you know my time or if there's something expected of me to do or if they want me to show up at the closing table, I need to know if they are coming in person or closing remotely. So we try to work that out ahead of time. I have had one or two surprises, but mostly we work it out ahead.
3: So we closed remotely on both of ours. And one of the things that was nice was they were able to send a remote notary to us because my wife works in the medical profession. And so she was actually at work at the hospital. And so I had to meet the notary over there at the hospital to so we could get all, all the things signed because she doesn't get off normally till like six seven o'clock at night and nobody's open to notarize at that point. So that's one thing that you can have is a remote notary show up if you're in a really busy job or something like that while you're on your lunch break and get it taken care of.
0: Yeah, I love I love a good remote notary. Also, you can go to any UPS or sometimes FedEx stores depending. Uh, we, we go to a UPS store all the time and, or is it a FedEx? I don't know. I can't, I can picture the front of it, but I, I don't know if it's UPS or FedEx, but they have notaries there.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Anything else that we need to hit on, on the contract process before we take off? I think we've got, we've pretty much. Oh, I want to say one
1: thing about the timelines and the calendar days and the business days. So in Florida, it actually is midnight or eleven fifty nine PM for both calendar days and business days. But typically the title companies open till 4, 4.35 o'clock. So even though it says you can get your money there in however many uh, business days, obviously there are business hours and some things are not possible to do after five o'clock, but the five o'clock deadline is not generally observed if it's business days. It really is literally 11.59
0: p.m. Good to know. Um, One more thing I thought of, how are the honoring of bookings, how is that handled in this market?
3: Uh, you can get them canceled up front. You just I try to be up front with the per- person I'm buying it from and just say, look, we're not honoring any bookings. I don't want your bookings. So if we close, I'm not honoring them. So, you know, it's in the contract. And so they know that I, I had one client, uh, the one we bought, the second one we bought, they had gone ahead, even though it's in the contract, they had gone ahead and booked it past just in case it didn't close. And she was crying, telling, asking me, "Well, why aren't you going to honor my bookings?" I said, "Because I'm tearing the house apart and I'm about to renovate the entire thing, and you need to cancel your bookings on Verbo. I don't want them," and because she was renting a beachfront for six hundred dollars a day.
1: I'm in the middle of one of those right now, the closing on a um, a condo and we're closing in the middle of what was their last booking and they wanted us to prorate the booking and we were like no that's not that's not the deal it's not our fault that you accepted a contract that has a closing date inside your booking and and we were clear about that up front so they did i ended up having helping them find some alternatives because it was a self managing person it was not a management company that could just transfer but i jumped in and did that too but we were adamant that we would not take bookings
2: and if by yeah. chance they just neglect to tell you that they have bookings and then spring on you at the end. I mean, if it wasn't addressed in the contract, you know, there was no post-occupancy agreement or anything like that. I mean, the, the day of closing, the property does, it's the buyer's property.
4: If I could offer something on a side note, since we have a lawyer in the house, uh, a topic for me that I find troubling and, and um, is sharing of an old home inspection report. And I have buyers, new buyers will call me up and want to ask me about the home inspection I did a month ago for a different buyer. And when I get those calls, you know, I like to point out to the the person looking at my report that person A paid for and you didn't pay for it. Somebody gave you my report, which is technically not mine. It's my buyer who paid for it. I don't own it. And you certainly don't own it. And if you purchase this property with that home inspection report that you didn't pay for that somebody gave it to you and you're in there and the house falls down, you have nobody to go after because you didn't get it inspected by me it may be my report but i didn't work for you and you purchase the house on that so whenever that happens i always like to call the agent and go hey you're kind of putting yourself in a bad situation here because your buyer is purchasing a house that you gave them somebody else's home inspection report and they're relying on you for guidance and 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 wisdom and it's not a good idea because they don't have a home inspection report they have somebody else's home inspection report when they move in and things are wrong they're going to want to blame somebody and they, they can't call the home inspector that didn't work for them. So it's something to think about there if you ever
3: run into that. And that's why you've got language in your report, your contract, when they signed it that says this all, only belongs between me and the person involved bought it. Correct. So you're, you're not on the hook for anything. Uh, so I def- And time has passed probably a year or more between the time that that inspection was done. So stuff could have happened that you don't have a clue about. Right. Just a side note. Yeah. Good side note. I, I think one thing we haven't covered is you better have insurance in place when you're ready to close because that's not a contingency, but it's one of the hardest things to get in Florida is insurance. So day one, we, if you're in the contract process, you need to start the process to find insurance, even though it's not a one of your contingencies on your contract. It's definitely something that should be at the forefront of your mind because once you get that inspection, they're going to want that four-point that and that wind mitigation. And you better start looking for insurance. I think I've gone through thirty different companies trying to find the right insurance before on a, on a beachfront. So just something to think about.
2: And right now, it actually can affect your financing contingency because I mean, you know, some of these insurance rates that we're getting, especially on some of these older single families. I mean, if that rate's high enough, you know, when somebody's coming in thinking they're going to find an insurance that's you know five thousand a year on this property they're buying, and then they, you know, they find out the roof is is older and there's some other stuff that's going to make it a little bit higher. And not to mention, you know, just Florida insurance going up in general. And the best quote they can get is you know seventeen thousand dollars a year. You know, just because they didn't think about the fact that it was an older house. I mean, if if they were already kind of tied on their DTI, they're not going to be able to get qualified with seventeen thousand dollars a year in insurance payments.
1: I pay attention to the year the house was built when they're looking at 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 properties to make offers on, and I tell them up front. I know you can't get an actual quote until you've had an inspection, but here are some brokers I recommend, and please call them and get some what if scenarios so that you're not shocked. Because I've had sellers argue with me. That Oh, no, the insurance is only this much on the house. Okay, that's not going to be your quote. That's not going to be the buyer's insurance rate. That's not going to be the buyer's taxes or insurance, whatever the seller is paying currently. So you have to get your own numbers. And that's mm-hmm. yeah, a good
0: good point. Absolutely. Yeah, make sure you're shopping for insurance very early in the deal. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Guys, if you want to buy with Russia January on the Emerald Coast, email us at agents at the short-term shop.com. Or if you just have further questions about investing in this market, you can hit us up every Thursday. We are on Zoom. You can sign up at Strquestions.com. Thanks, guys.